Virginia, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Dan? I'm good. You and I were best friends in high school, sat next to each other in English Lit. That we did. We once handed in an assignment together where we each wrote a line by line. We each wrote it separately and handed it in as one assignment and got an A on it. I don't remember it being very good. It, it wasn't good, but I think <laughs> I think we probably got away with a lot in that class. I think so, too. When you were sad and angsty in high school, what artist or album did you immediately turn to? You and I would make mixed CDs mm-hmm. for each other, right? And so you poisoned my mind with all of this Weezer content. Yeah. So, of course, I would turn to Weezer and then... Anytime I wanted to feel really in my feelings, I would turn to the Smiths. It's so funny how dramatic that music is for like children. I, I was listening to the brand new, the song Jesus Christ, and that chorus mm-hmm. that goes, and I will die alone, and when I arrive, I won't know anyone. And it's like, fucking Christ, who is this for? <laughs> what teenager needs to consume that? <laughs> A really sad one. I'm a sad adult male, and that's not even that deep to me anymore. Not anymore. No, it just doesn't hit as hard as it used to. I feel like everyone was listening to, like, Cobra Starships, and you and I were, like, listening to The Replacements. (laughs) Did you ever like or pretend to like music to impress someone else in high school? Of course I did. Who didn't? What artists? Nothing really jumps to mind, but I'm thinking almost every band that had, like, a screaming frontman my biggest high school musical mistake was pretending I liked Bon Jovi to impress Sam Caruso. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one for you. <laughs> I can't believe I sold out my taste to pretend to like want it dead or alive. It was so funny watching you go through that. Like at the time, I knew how much you did not like Bon Jovi, but you tried so hard. I still don't like Bon Jovi. He's a dweeb. I think his music is funny now. Yeah, but I don't think it's supposed to be funny. No, it's definitely not supposed to be funny. He's very serious. I ask you about high school music because I'm interviewing Grace DeMarco on the show today. Woo! That's a good guest. Yeah, good guest. A lot of history there. All right, I'm going to start the show now. Great. Well, it's lovely catching up with you, Dan. Of course. I hope you hang up the phone and listen to The Queen is Dead. (laughs) You know me. I will. Hello and welcome to Out of Love, the show where we try to make sense of love in hopes of better relationships, better understanding of ourselves, and in my case, becoming a better wedding officiant. My name is Dan Castorella, and I'm just a teenage dirtbag baby. On today's show, my high school crush, Grace DeMarco. Everyone has at least one head over heels crush in high school. You think about this person all the time, hope to see them in the hallway, and make them mix CDs with too many Weezer songs on them. This person to me was Grace DeMarco. It was the summer of 2010. Katy Perry had teenage dreams, and Leonardo DiCaprio was trying to incept them. Grace and I worked as camp counselors, and I was smitten. Now, things didn't work out, but as time went on, our relationship went from crush to each other's support systems through some pretty intense and dark moments in each other's lives. Today, Grace and I are still close. She works at a substance abuse center and helps a lot of people strengthen their support systems and puts them on a better path. So, I sat down with Grace to discuss our entire friendship, the strange and endearing path it took, how she went from camp counselor to addiction counselor, and how all of it plays a role in her relationship today. So, without further ado, here's Grace DeMarco. It's funny, because when I launched the show, we did that little trailer to like let people know that, like, hey, there's a show. 
And I was like, oh, my high school crush, Grace. And I never anticipated actually interviewing you. I was like, no one's going to want to hear that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> From my perspective. Okay. And then I was like, oh, but that actually is kind of an interesting story. Because it's a very weird trajectory for a friendship. We've known each other at, since like 2003. Because we yeah. went to camp together when we were like 9 or 10. So we've known each other since like the 4th or 5th grade. And then about 10 years ago, we became closer when we worked together as camp counselors. And I would drive you to camp every day. And I had a huge high school crush on you. Like so conventionally like puppy dog crush. And then and then it developed into this very supportive friendship that like I think we've gone through like a lot together. And I think we've supported each other through like a lot of intense moments. But before we get to that, okay. we have to start at the beginning. All righty. 2010. What sticks out to you the most about that summer? That was just trippy because we were in Corpus Christi. And yeah. that's not usually where camp is. And that's like where I went for kindergarten and first grade. And it was just trippy being in that building the whole summer. Yeah, we were in a like a church school. We were in like a Catholic school. Yeah. And we would drive through South River every day. And mm -hmm. that's where like my first house was. So it was always just weird being around that area. I remember, so there's two things that stand out to me from that summer. One was the crush on you. Two, my team won color wars at the camp. Oh my God. I still hold that as one of my proudest moments because I haven't achieved much in my life since. But <laughs> what color wars is, all the campers are assigned to color, red, white, blue. It's funny, now I say color wars in the context of 2020, I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's not really appropriate. But it was like an Americana theme. Each kid had like red, white, and blue. I was always on the blue team. And we, what did you do to me? You have such a crush on me. You care about me so much. What team was I on, Dan? I assigned you not on my team. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't play favorites. But every year before that, I would come in last. Like dead last. And it was incredibly disappointing because before I started at camp, color games was not very intense. It was a pretty subdued day. And I brought it. And I like riled up the kids. I like created clicks within the counselors. <laughs> I may have unnecessarily like ended friendships. And then I'd always lose. It was horrible. But 2010, the first year Blue Team won, created the Blue Team dynasty, where I believe for the rest of my time there, Blue Team won three out of four times when I was still there. And from when I was less there, Blue Team still continues to win. But what team did you put me on, Dan? Back to what I was saying. I put you on the white team. And what's kind of the dynasty there? Yeah, white team would never win. I got put on the losing team. <laughs> I couldn't put you on the blue team because I didn't want to signal that I had a crush on you, even though it was fairly apparent, right? In all fairness, a lot of people had a crush on a lot of people that summer. Yeah. Like, we were all, what, between 16 and 19? Yeah. Horrible mix of hormones. <laughs> there was a lot of them. So, wait, 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 are you saying you couldn't tell, or are you saying everyone had a crush it was kind of normal. I think I could definitely tell. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious when someone likes somebody. You always think like it's not. Like yeah. you always try and behave as if like, oh, me being like really sweet and forward is how I am with everybody. I'm treating you like I would treat anybody else, which is absolutely, no one could keep that up. That's insane. No one's that nice. <laughs> I don't know. You're pretty nice, but you could tell when somebody likes you. They make like an extra effort to like touch you or reach out or... I remember, so... At the end of every camp season, we did a camp show. All the different groups, we were camped at 
was between first and third grade, I believe, right? Yeah. And all the different groups did a song and dance to like a Disney song or like a popular children's song or, or whatever. And then all the counselors would get up and we would all like do a little dance to a song. And I liked you so much that I volunteered to choreograph the counselor song with you, even though I have no choreography experience. And I was a 17-year-old mop-headed kid <laughs> mop -headed. with wet noodle limbs. Like, I shouldn't have been choreographing anything. <laughs> but I appreciated the help. The song was We Go Together from Greece. Yes. And I think it turned out pretty well. All of our dances turned out excellent. Yes. The, the byproduct of, of me choreographing is it led to a four-year career as a choreographer for <laughs> prepudescent teenagers to get tip money from children's parents at the end of the summer. We did We Go Together 2010, mm -hmm. You Can't Stop the Beat 2011, Celebration 2012, and then Ease On Down the Road from The Wiz 2013. Is this on your resume? Because I feel like you <laughs> sold it excellently. <laughs> I never talk about this because inevitably then someone's like, oh, I do the dance. <laughs> and these... You could box square like no other, my man. <laughs> these dances, like I still know these dances. Like, I can't remember the names of, like, very wonderful people who I met last week. <laughs> but I can still do, like, ease on down the road from the whiz. Memorable. We are memorable. I guess. You know, if we recorded these, we would have invented TikTok. My mind is blown. <laughs> Me having a crush on you fundamentally changed some of my own behaviors. Because, one, I'm, I picked up on the fact that I'm bad at texting from you now. From me? You were the worst text messenger. I still kind of am. You're much better now. Thank you. You were... I tried. Shockingly bad. Like, in a way, I couldn't even take it personally because it would be something like, hey, do you want to go into work a little early tomorrow? And then you would just like never respond. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I have gotten better. And I was like, I don't know what time I'm going to pick her up. Don't judge 16-year-old me, please. Well, well that, that like turned... I was like, well... If she doesn't care about texting, I'm not going to care about texting. And now every text I send is like short and efficient. And I have to really try to make it like a long thing. Oh, God. I don't know if I like this lasting impression. I'm so sorry. I think it's a good thing, though. I don't think texts would be conversations. I've always been a phone person. I have like stubby old man thumbs. Like it's, <laughs> it hurts after a while to like tell you about my day. And it's, it's such a one-sided conversation, too. It's like, here's everything I want to say, and I'll wait for your response. And then you made me hate car hugs. Having a hug in the car is the worst way to give a hug. That and that weird one-handed hug where you don't really want to touch the person, but you feel obligated to hug them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why do I make you hate them? Great question. It's the last day of camp. Okay. I still have huge harboring feelings for you. Mm -hmm. Told pretty much everybody at the camp except you. I didn't know that. Really? No. I am a hard on the sleeve guy. Well, then you have some good friends. Everyone kept it a secret. Maybe you have bad friends. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so I drive you home with the intention of being like, I'm going to ask Grace out. But not that confidently. I was like, I'm going to try. <laughs> Which, it's so funny to me that I was like, I'll wait till the last day. That way I don't have to see her again if she says no. What like a cowardly, like, 16-year-old mindset I had. I drop you off in front of your house, park the car. I have no idea what I said, but I do remember you said, I don't think that's a good idea. And I was like, that's, I can't argue with that. <laughs> that's a great rejection line. Oh my God. 
How, how do you remember that instance? The fact you pulled out the words that 16-year-old me said, I don't remember that specifically. What I do remember, you pulled up to my house. You said, I I mean, and I'm not going to even pretend that I know the, <laughs> the language of this as well as you might. But you just kind of said, like, you like me and, you know, you want to go on a date or something. And... I guess I said that's not a good idea, but I do remember I gave you a hug. I think I even kissed you on the cheek, and I I think I said, like, I'm sorry. I remember <laughs> feeling real bad <laughs> because, like, I like you so much, like, as a person. And, of course, like, if I like you so much, I never want to hurt you. And I didn't know how to make it better. Oh, that's sweet. So that was, like, the headline crush summer. I certainly struggled with my feelings after that. Because I think in most cases, like, a crush will, like, flame out, and you just kind of never see or talk to that person again. But we still hung out after that, and we still worked together after that. And I know personally, like, I struggle with an inability to let people go and let people out of my life. Like, if I make a connection with someone, like, as evident with you sitting across from me today, 10 years later, Mm -hmm. like, I still want to make an effort to, like, involve that person in my life. Do you... Have that feeling too? Are you that same type of person where it's like you don't let people go? It depends. If that person has hurt me in some way where I just feel like they don't care about me or my feelings, then I absolutely let people go. But if if I know that this person cares about me and if like they did hurt me or something else and we're willing to like work through it or whatever, then yeah, because good people are good people. So mm-hmm. I find it increasingly more common that people will make a connection with someone and then just let that like fizzle out or like not go anywhere or just be like, yeah, we were good friends for a long time ago. It's like, you don't want to keep up with that person. But again, for, it seems like such a longer time than it actually was because time seems like ever long when you're a teenager, but like really just a couple of months. I still like had so much feelings until I would say like the summer of 2012, Mm -hmm. which was a horribly traumatic summer for me. And my romantic feelings transitioned into an intimate bond, might I say? Let me list real quick some of the things that happened, the highlights of what happened in that summer. My sister lost her job. I was in a car accident. My grandfather died. My dog died. And then my other grandfather died. Yeah. And this was in a span, I literally between like June and August. How bad of shape was I in at that time? It's like that's stupid phrase where like it rains it pours and like it was mm-hmm. just one thing after another and one day it literally poured on me <laughs> one day because i was in the car accident aforementioned so i used to bike to work when we were camp counselors again and this site was closer to my house and i <laughs> was biking and it was just one of those new jersey like torrential 10 minute flash floods and it downpoured for like 10 minutes and literally <laughs> I get to camp and it stops <laughs> and I am soaked to the core. People were like, and, and it was in the middle of all this going on. And they're like, are you, I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm just going to dry off. Just let me soak in peace. <laughs> Why do you think that change in our relationship happened? Besides the fact that life was literally shitting on me. You took our relationship made for something different where I knew about everything that was going on. You were comfortable talking to me and I just tried my best to be there for you because I care about you. And it was, again, don't want to see you hurt. So <laughs> I just, I was just willing to listen to you and help you in any way I can. You are a person who has a deep 
emotional understanding than I think most people do. And certainly most people at the age of 19 or 20. Why do you think your background has made you that type of person? I don't know. I just, I feel like I've always, I've always just had this strong desire to help people. And I just realized I was kind of good at it, like listening to people and empathizing with them. Like, I think that's one of the most powerful things you could do for someone is listening to them and validating their feelings. And Did you feel at the time that you were more emotionally in tune than like most teenagers? For a lot of my friends, yes. But I do have some that I'm still still really close with today who I feel were also equally emotionally tuned. But there was a lot of people to kind of weed out. Well, it, it's funny because I think you and I are very equally similar, at least in that capacity. And then as you get older, you're like, oh, not everyone's like that emotionally in tune like people are kind of dumb and it's like i'm and insensitive yeah like as i approach my like early 60s now <laughs> people are nowhere near as emotionally empathetic as like we were when we were like less than 20 how do you personally cope with grief and how do you understand your own relationship with grief that it's not a straight line that's not like i do this this and this mm-hmm. and then i'll be okay it's like No, you do this, this, and this, and hopefully you'll be a little better and you'll have some good days. But then some shit could come along that fucking triggers you and then you have a really shitty day and you Mm -hmm. find out something else that you have to work towards that you didn't know you had to work towards. Yeah, I mean, kind of what you were saying before, when it rains, it pours sometimes. And you think you could be making so much emotional progress and then something triggers you or something goes off and you feel like you have to start over again, even though... That isn't necessarily the case. You have progressed. Mm -hmm. I feel like with grief, like you were saying, people believe it's a linear line, a straight path. And when you have that mentality, it also gives you the mentality that you think you're not allowed to have bad days yeah, or off days or feel bad Mm -hmm. because you believe you've made X amount of progress and you can only move forward. You can't move back. Yeah. And I think what you said is really important to acknowledge where just because something else comes up doesn't negate everything that you've done before that. Mm -hmm. It just means you're learning more. I personally am a heart on my sleeve guy. I am very open with how I'm feeling or when I'm struggling. I have no problem going to someone and being like, I'm hurting a lot. But that's different for everybody. I'm curious, how do you kind of sit with those feelings? Are you the same way where you need to go and talk to someone else or do you kind of internalize them? No, I need to talk. I am, I am such a communication whore. Like (laughs) I call everyone and I have made it. So I almost, I have certain people that I go to my life about certain things, certain people Mm -hmm. I trust in regards to relationships, certain people that I trust in regards to just like grounding me. Like if I'm too crazy, like I have like a friend who she could just talk me down and will understand me. And then like if I ha- I'm having family stuff, I like know who to go to. Yeah, I need to talk. Me and my girlfriend talk all the time. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because it's the same thing. That is like our relationship to me. Like I joke that you're like my trauma buddy. <laughs> because whenever something like detrimentally bad happens, I will go to you. And we will talk and we will pick up like it's old times. Even though we don't talk regularly. No. Probably because I still think you're bad at answering your phone. <laughs> but I do know when when that event happens or when something bad happens, you are always there. And I, I always appreciate that. I, I always, I never take that for granted. 
What is a gesture that has someone has done that was very meaningful to you? So I have obviously a past that I bring a lot into my relationship with my girlfriend. And she has just showed me so much unconditional love and patience that I never thought I would find. Mm-hmm. And she's seen me at moments when I'm not proud of myself at all. And she's just still there. We keep talking about the the trajectory of how long we've known each other, right? And I've seen you in many different types of relationships. And I've never seen you both as happy as you are and as open as you are, too, <laughs> than you are with Jenny. Do you think you kind of sometimes don't know yourself entirely until you meet someone else. And it doesn't have to be a significant other. Sometimes a a new person in your life can unlock the old you. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the reason for that is you're not always willing to honestly look at yourself in the mirror. Who the hell would want to do that? Like, let's honestly look at myself and see where I can improve, what I can do better. Like, that could be painful. Mm -hmm. But when you're with somebody, a friend, a significant other, whatever, and something you're doing is negatively impacting the relationship and you don't want to lose them, Mm -hmm. you're forced to work on yourself or else you're going to lose a person who you really care about. Absolutely. It's easy to bury your flaws when you're the only one who has to live with them in a sad way. That shouldn't be the case. Self-improvement shouldn't come from trying to appease another person. But that other person can help you see your full potential. Self-improvement should always come from you looking at yourself and saying, I want to be better for myself because I can do this. But as you said, we're too close to ourselves sometimes. And sometimes the truth is like really hard or, or we're just too in our heads to kind of see it fully. And so generally, not even in a romantic sense, but the more you put yourself out there and the more open you are and the more you're talking to people about what you're struggling with, or even what your ambitions are, what you like to do, the more you're going to get a more well-rounded view of yourself. And also just people are going to react to you more. And there's a fear of being vulnerable that I think in a way in your current relationship, you've kind of gotten over that. No, I'm, that's what I'm working on. I'm definitely working on that. Right. You're working on that. But I'm so glad that that's how it goes across that I'm I'm over, I'm on my way to overcoming it because... That's also why I'm so sentimental right now. I've been in a lot of therapy, guys. <laughs> of course. But when we talk, you you talk about your progress in a way that you haven't with other people you were seeing. How have you overcome that anxiety of being vulnerable? And even like you said, you still have it. But what gives you the strength to kind of push through and be that person with them? Me and my girlfriend are extremely, extremely honest with each other mm-hmm. and I just listened to your podcast that you released this morning, and uh, the one that was released was, she talked about microwing, Mm -hmm. where if something bothers you, not to keep it in and let that build up. Mm -hmm. So being so honest about the things that bug you, because they bug you for a reason. I mean, sometimes it's an arbitrary reason, but if something's really making you feel some type of way, everyone has their own personal life experience, had their own personal interactions and so what you react one way to someone else might think it's no big deal at all and be like why in the world are you doing this so the fact that we are so honest about our past and what has impacted us to make us the people that we are today and then 
we're understanding of each other. We don't just go like, oh, well, get over it. It's okay. I understand why you feel that way. I'm so sorry. I don't want you to feel this way. How could we work towards this not being a thing in the past, whether it's work that one of us needs to be on or editing the way that we approach each other the next time? Absolutely. When someone has a conversation like this, when you address a problem in a relationship, I think a word people like to use is like, how can we solve this? But sometimes these conflicts aren't solvable necessarily. You should just explore them why they're there. Less than be like, this is an issue. We need to change it. You need to be open and say, why are you feeling this way and how can we make it okay? And sometimes it's just a matter of figuring out like why. Because we react to things and no normal person or anyone is like, I definitely like feel this intensely because this happened in my past. Like that's not a common train of thought. So sometimes even just exploring like, why did that hurt me so much? Mm -hmm. Why did that cause all these feelings? And just finding the root of that, sometimes that alleviates the issue right then and there because Mm -hmm. you're able to be like, I'm not back there. That's not who I was. That's something that impacted me then because of the position I'm in, but you're a different person. This is a different situation. And having the mindset that we touched upon earlier, everyone reacts to things differently. I've certainly had traumatic things in my life where, for example, there have been people in my life who have passed away that were sick before and I had the mentality of kind of knowing they would go and very upset about that, but kind of accepting it. There's no shock in that trauma. Whereas something as silly as it raining when you wanted to go outside or team not winning a game like can really upset you and seemingly upset you more than bigger things. And so realizing that everyone reacts to things differently doesn't mean you should discount things that you think aren't a big deal. Okay, well, it'll stop raining eventually. Well, it's not the rain that's the issue. There's something underneath that that needs to be addressed and not pushed down. Yeah. I, as I looked down at my notes, I wrote, 10 years later, we're still close and semi-functional adults. <laughs> Good, I'm selling that point here. <laughs> you recently graduated with your master's in social work, right? Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. And you currently work at an addiction center. And I'm curious a little bit, because we were you know, just talking about grief and openness and support systems. What has working there taught you about counseling and support systems? It's emphasized what... I already kind of knew where where people need to be heard and feel accepted because we tend to beat ourselves up so much. Mm-hmm. We judge the things that we think about. We judge the way we feel. We judge why we do our things because a lot of addictions counseling is group-centered. You're sitting in groups of people because these are people who have been through similar experience and we talk about how important it is to be open because that allows someone else to validate what you're saying. I've been there too. Same thing. That sucks, man. This is what I did for this. This is what I did for that. And building that community is so therapeutic and gets rid of that shame and guilt that people feel, especially around addiction. Just not being judgmental when someone's talking and even acknowledging their hurt. There's an unfortunate stigma where we villainize drug use. I don't think a lot of people... And and now as time goes on, it's much more accepting. But I don't think a lot of people look at drug addiction with empathy. Why is that? And how can we explore that stigma to change that perception? People with addiction come in with that, everything that society puts on them, everything that you just said, they struggle with that themselves. And what I tell them is you just simply didn't know how to deal. 
this is individual based. Some people get into it for other reasons, but a majority of the people who I see in my experience, they've had something happen in their life and their emotions were so uncomfortable and overwhelming that they didn't know how to deal with it. And so they found something that takes those unbearable, uncomfortable emotions away. It was temporary and it wound up causing more issues in the long run, but it took something away for that moment. And that's when addiction comes into play because once the high wears off, you're stuck with your emotions again and they're even worse because you're coming off of a drug and your dopamine is completely depleted. And then you're like, fuck this, I need to get something else, help me again. And that creates the cycle. So just understanding you didn't have your own coping tools to deal with it. And that's what we focus on in our group therapy sessions is how to manage your emotions and how to have effective communication with the people who you care about. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that come down, there's also guilt. You could speak to this more than I can, but I don't think a lot of drug users after they use are like, oh, that was like, good on me, just did some drugs. Like it's shameful. They, they understand the stigma attached to it. They understand what doing that represents in the eyes of their families or in their communities or in society at large. And so in addition to A, struggling with what they were struggling before the usage, B, the chemical come down of that. Now there's this C component of the social stigma and the social come down of that. Yeah. And in all fairness, there are some people who are in the facility who just say like, this is what I was always around. This was the common thing for people to do. But of course, society has an impact in that. How do you see these addicts change and heal over time? The biggest thing is them trying to find more confidence in themselves because a lot of that kind of gets taken away. Because when you're in addiction, you are the substance becomes just maintenance, just so you're okay, just so you physically don't get sick or aren't shaking or something like that. And that's your go-to for how to cope with things. That's your go-to to get through life. I need to have this drink before I go to the grocery store. I couldn't possibly go without a drink at me. I need to take this hit or else I won't be able to get through the work day. And so building up the confidence where everything that you need you possess. Mm -hmm. You don't need a substance to be okay. You don't need a substance when you're anxious. You don't need a substance to do everyday activities and actually finding that you could be more productive when you're not under the influence. What are some of the vices that people replace drug addiction with? Oh my God. I love handing out my 99 coping skills and it is- 99? There's everything under the sun. There's so many things you could do. People love going for walks. People love setting aside time to have a good meal that's not rushed, going to the beach, hanging out with a friend, dancing in the mirror, listening to your favorite song, meditation if you're into that, exercising, just- Knowing how to take care of yourself and what you need in the moment and what works for you, something that you enjoy. I always say I love cleaning my room because I love having a clean space and putting on my oil diffuser. I am so happy when my room is clean. I have an oil diffuser. And if I'm anxious about anything, I just sit and I enjoy and maybe put a face mask on. But that's that's just me. Mm -hmm. But people have a variety of things that they do just to take care of themselves because we talk about turning to addiction. It's when you turn to the substance because you want to escape because mm -hmm. your life is unbearable and it's overwhelming and you just want to break and how to incorporate giving yourself little breaks so that it doesn't build up needing to fully escape. And that's relevant, not just to people with drug addiction, like that's relevant to us today in a pandemic and having 
full days to ourselves where our routine has been cratered and we can't go outside. You know, when we go outside, there's precautions. We can't really go to work. We shouldn't go to work unless you're an essential worker. And so those little things you talked about, that's not just for overcoming trauma or addiction. It's break up your own monotony, break up your own routine. I like to read now. I don't watch TV anymore. I can't watch TV. My ADD that I don't have (laughs) and years of working in television have made TV so mundane to me. But now I read and now I know about the Roman Empire for some reason. Absolutely. But what you said, the people who are sitting in these rooms, they literally sit there and they say like, I wish my significant other was in here. I wish my friends are in here because this is all just useful things. I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. And a big thing that we try to work on is not taking self-care as a selfish thing. It's actually extremely productive and helps the other people around you because when you're taking care of yourself, you are an all-around more productive person, more pleasant person, happier person. And it's something that everybody could use, being in touch with how you're doing and when you need to pay a little extra attention to yourself. Yeah, it's like charging your phone. Your phone needs some time to be charged and not be used all the time. So should you. Yeah, absolutely. In going through this very long and varieting conversation... What do you think the biggest surprise about our friendship and the trajectory it took is? I think the dynamic that you explained earlier where when something serious happens in our life, we have both always been there for each other Mm because I remember a time in my life I was really struggling and I remember you and my best friend, you picked me up and like you took me to the beach and... Just that, how we don't have to be texting every day. We don't have to be in constant contact, but we know on a deeper level that we will always be there for each other. And you're someone who I feel comfortable coming to. I don't feel like I would ever be judged by you for if I'm feeling some type of way and that we just want to help each other. Absolutely. And that sentiment is, is completely reflected. It's so funny to think about where we were when we were teenagers and that dynamic and to think like that you have become one of my my closest like support systems and really like as I think of it like probably the first person I would call outside my family if something really severe happens because you have that compassion and you have that empathy and that is one certainly not something I take for granted but also certainly not something that everyone is equipped with and so it is funny to think how long away we came yeah. from, from, from <laughs> having a crush. You invented my, my phrase, uh, firsty lasty. What's that? When you have a crush and you, you go by, they go by first last name, firsty lasty, oh. Grace DeMarco. <laughs> oh my God. I'd name other examples, but then I'm not going to put other people on the spot. <laughs> so I won't. <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking and opening up with me. Of course. I'm continuously impressed with everything that you do and i'm so grateful that you have me on here thank you well thank you for coming on grace demarco the first first elasti thank you to grace for coming on the show this week next week there won't be a normal episode in your feed because i'm taking the week off however stay tuned for a special bonus episode of out of love if you have a story you'd like to share please email us at outofloveshow at gmail.com Please subscribe to and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts Out of Love is a production of WeWo Media and is recorded at Hex Street Studios. It is hosted and produced by me, Dan Casarella The show is mixed by Jake Katz our engineer, Aaron Bradley is our art director, 
The opening theme is Acolyte, and the closing theme is Toronto Mug, both written and performed by Slaughter Beach Dog. Special thanks to Virginia Wright. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Stay lovely.